This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. They're young, they're in love, and they're navigating the hallways of high school. The Netflix series Heartstopper is a rom-com for soft hearts everywhere. The two teenage boys at the center of the story go from rugby teammates to good friends to, you guessed it, something more. The series just returned for a second season, so we decided to revisit our conversation about the first season. I'm Glenn Weldon. And I'm Linda Holmes. And in this encore episode of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about Heartstopper. Hey. I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at Life Kit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without cobalt. Because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. When the economic news gets to be a bit much... Listen to The Indicator from Planet Money. We're here for you, like your friends, trying to figure out all the most confusing parts. One story, one idea, every day, all in 10 minutes or less. The Indicator from Planet Money, your friendly economic sidekick. From NPR. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Joining me in Glenn today is Mark Blankenship. He is the reviews editor of Prime Timer. Welcome back, Mark. Hello. Very happy to be here. And also joining us is film and culture critic Kate Young. Hi, Kate. Hi. Delighted to be back. Well, Heartstopper was created by Alice Oseman, who also wrote the webcomic the series is based on. Joe Locke plays Charlie, a shy kid who's been through a lot of bullying at his all-boys school since he came out. Kit Connor plays Nick, a friendly and popular rugby star who has only ever dated girls. But when the two meet, they instantly take a shine to each other. And when it blooms into a possible romance, sorry about any spoilers, they have a lot to figure out. At the same time, Charlie's best friend Tao, played by William Gao, is missing the increasingly distracted Charlie, as well as their mutual friend Elle, played by Yasmin Finney, who is trans and has transferred to the nearby all-girls school. There are eight episodes. It is streaming on Netflix. Let's get to it. Mark, you told us you wanted to talk about this show. Tell me why. Okay, so I have no skill as a visual artist, but watching this show made me want to create fan art about (laughs) Charlie and Nick. (laughs) I found this show to be so charming and sweet, and it legitimately 
even thinking about it right now, I can feel my heartbeat racing because they're just so romantic and cute. And I have spent apparently my whole life waiting for a show about two sweet, cute boys falling in love in this way. And I felt like I had never before seen a show where the innocence ascribed to young love was allowed to bloom between two boys. And letting these boys just have innocent love really moved me in a way that is getting me a little verklempt right now. All right. Kate, tell me what you think about Heartstopper. I had a really similar reaction. Um, I powered through it in like two or three hours because I watch everything on double speed. Don't hate me. But I absolutely (laughs) fell deeply in love with these characters. I thought that they were absolutely delightful. And to Mark's point, like the innocence of that love was really the selling point. I think that for me, it made me think of um, an essay that uh, culture writers Tom and Lorenzo wrote several years ago about Glee and uh, Kurt and that moment that he has when he first sees uh, Blaine for the first time and how mm. how magical that moment was for them to see just that like queer love happen. And to see that again was really, really delightful in a way that like benefits from all of the other queer media that we've had over the last couple of years because now it's it's allowed to do something as wonderful and sweet as that without having to couch its depictions in all of these concerns about what is and isn't appropriate for kids. One of the things I really liked is was kind of realizing that these kids are young. Like our main protagonist is like 14. He turns 15 over the course of these episodes. They're children. They're just discovering not only their sexualities, but like their own feelings of romance, their feelings about their body. They're just discovering what it means to connect to other people in a romantic way. And to see that happen without like the pressures of sex or like people pressuring them to go further than they need. Like they're just, they just like each other and it's lovely. Mm-hmm. Glenn, I, first of all, I'm looking at your face. Mm-hmm. Second of all, this is a show that has actual animated cartoon butterflies mm-hmm. that fly around on the screen <laughs> when people have feelings. Yeah, do. And it made me think that this would not be a Glenn show, but I am wondering whether I am being unfair to you. Uh, look, this is sweet. It's bubbly. It's champagne. I'm not going to turn down a glass of champagne. Um, now, uh, do I prefer my champagne a little bit more on the brute side, drier, toastier, <laughs> with three grams of sugar per liter or less? Sure. I do think this is really well executed, though. The two leads are great. And if you are a queer person who has been seeking out these stories all your life, you will find many that follow, I would say, the general contours of this story. A lot of them set in British schools. Beautiful Thing, uh, Get Real, Borstal Boy, Handsome Devil, uh, Eric's plotline in sex education. But that's not a dig, right? Because the reason the story is familiar is because it's such a common one. Crushes, whether they are requited or very much un. Uh, Confusion, frustration, longing, it's universal. And so if I've seen this before, and I have, the particulars here are enough to keep me watching. Um, the details. The There is also, I have to say, as a queer person of a certain age, there is an anthropological appeal here mm. to see how the coming out process remains exactly the same, even in a contemporary environment, which is so much more accepting and mm-hmm. permissive than I ever could have imagined. Even if it's a bit too sweet for me, that's fine. I'm not the target. This is for kids who are struggling to figure things out. And the weekend this dropped, my social media filled up with a lot of queer folks saying, I wish I had something like this when I was coming out. And the truth is we did, but you really had to seek them out. You had to be living in an urban area with an indie or art house cinema 
But the fact that this is on Netflix means that so many barriers are lowered and so many people can see it. Not everyone. There's still people, you know, who don't have access to Netflix. But in terms of just the reach that this has, the potential for it, it's just amazing. Yeah. You know, the aesthetic reminded me so much of the Jenny Han movies of To All the Boys Mm -hmm. and those films. Mm which are so kind of sweet and traditionally rom-commy in this way that I really appreciated. That's the kind of the feel of this to me in some ways, the, the way it kind of takes feelings seriously while also kind of understanding that the people involved are teenagers. I did appreciate the way that, um, you know, I am not in a position to speak from experience, but I think as Glenn said, the coming out stories here are significantly more nuanced than they Mm. have been in some Mm -hmm. presentations I've seen before. Because there's an understanding that, yes, you know, Charlie has been out for a while. It resulted in his being bullied by individual people and groups of people. But it's not that you can't be out in high school and have a life. It's sort of that it's easier in some social circles than other social circles and that it's, you know, there may be friends who are more accepting and less accepting. And he kind of has this group of friends that are more accepting of him and are more loving toward him. I really did like his group of friends. Mm -hmm. I thought were really sweet and nicely presented I just enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was really, you know, as Glenn said, it is sweet. It it is really gentle. And I think everybody has a right to see themselves in love stories that are gentle in addition to love stories that are kind of Mm -hmm. bracing, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I think I really agree. I think one of the things I really, really liked about this was just the softness. Like Mm -hmm. the the word that comes to mind for me is like warm. Like I just want to live inside of it and like hug myself. It's wonderful and sweet. It's interesting, uh, Glenn, that you, you mentioned it was easier for them to be out in this show because one of the things that I was confused about was when the show was set in time because it surprised me how antagonistic some of his classmates were. And I wasn't sure if that was like a period thing or just like for the purposes of dramatic stakes. But I, especially with the the Tara storyline and the girls' school, she really gets this like barrage of abuse and, and bullying coming her way when she like officially makes her sexuality public. And I genuinely thought that that was strange But I don't know if that's just my adult perspective looking back now at that time, because I, if I'm being honest, like, I didn't come out until a couple of years ago. And when I was in high school, like, I definitely thought it was a scandal to have a lesbian. But I also went to a Catholic school, so Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's part and parcel of it. But part of what makes this so special is that it finds a way to weave in multiple sets of love stories and queer people. And I think that by the time the series is over, we've got two couples and one presumptive couple, and they are all queer and they all have their own journeys, but they're all Mm -hmm. really meaningful and significant. They are handled very well in distinguishing the dynamics of those different relationships and how things are different from them. Not just because, you know, one of the couples is are guys and one are girls, but also because there are different races and how that affects their experience is also addressed. And I mm-hmm. really, I really, really appreciated the nuance of that and how it didn't focus solely on this one kid and his one crush on this presumptive straight boy. It really expands all of their understanding of themselves and each other. One of the things I really, really liked was Nick's discovery of his sexuality and like his confusion and recognizing that like 
he definitely has a crush on this kid, but he doesn't know what that means. And like, can it be both? Because he's sure that he likes girls. And like, there's a scene at the very end where he goes to his mom, played by Olivia Coleman, who's in like all of four scenes, and says like... It's, it's called bisexuality, if you've heard of that. Yeah, I've heard of that. I wasn't born in the 18th century. <laughs> <laughs> and I just absolutely sobbed because it's just the sweetest, most like teenage thing to do. Like you think you've just discovered it because it's so new. Sure. Olivia Coleman's response to that question is so lovely and I think speaks to Kate what you're saying about the size of the community that this show has paid attention to. Because even the, that little moment with his mother, it's so complicated and layered, and you learn so much about their relationship. And for me, too, I loved the character of Tao, who is Charlie's best friend, because what we see in that relationship is that Tao is just really committed to making sure his friend is happy. He doesn't have any problems with his friend's sexuality. He just is worried that he's going to lose his friend to this boy who isn't good enough for him. And I really like that that element of the story was there, and it actually wasn't necessarily about the sexuality of the characters at all. It was about a different type of love that these people can have for each other. And that, to me, also made this show a very nuanced, rich, satisfying watch, because sometimes I feel like coming out becomes the only thing that a story is about. Mm -hmm. And coming out is happening in the context of lots of other things here. And like Kate said, too, there are also many different types of queer relationships on display. And all of these friendship dynamics are treated very carefully and thoughtfully. And so it feels like that we're watching queer kids who live inside of a rich world instead of a story where being queer is all that there is to be and all that there is to talk about. As someone who rented Beautiful Thing from the Chattanooga, Tennessee blockbuster <laughs> like 20 times mm -hmm. in 1996 because it was all I had, <laughs> the evolution of the story from that movie to this show is really heartening because it's the same basic beats as Glenn was saying, but now it's contextualized with all this other stuff and beautiful thing gets to exist in a much richer world when it's Heartstopper. And uh, I'm here for that. Um, you both have mentioned the sweetness of it, the innocence of it, the fact that it doesn't veer into sex. That got in the way for me. Mm. And some of this is the YA of it all, but this is kind of what Love, Simon fell into the trap of, I think. It's all about heart and not about the loins. Mm. This is romance without sex. This is attraction restricted to kissing and hand-holding, and I get why. It's intentional. I get why. And that's fine if you want to watch it with your parents, maybe, and then break into response groups or whatever, but <laughs> it does feel like it's shying away from something. It is what I would call an honest depiction. This is all homo, no sexuality. Mm. So what it becomes yeah. about instead is identity as opposed to attraction. So there's a scene where Nick goes online, going online, I know what's coming, <laughs> and instead he goes, am I gay? To me, that jumped the line. It jumps right past all the fun bits about being queer so he can go looking for a label. Labels come later, if they come at all. What he would be figuring out in that moment is what he's attracted to. And I have it on very good authority. I haven't checked this out myself, but I am told that the internet has one or two websites where you could go <laughs> to get some help figuring that kind of stuff out. Explain. That's... <laughs> But you, do you get what I'm saying here? That's where the yeah. cuteness of the story got in the way instead of adding to its appeal. Mm. I do, but I, I have to say, when I was 14, I don't think my attractions to boys involved a lot of really specific, lusty thinking. Yeah. Okay. yeah. If they were 18, I would be a lot more in agreement with what you're saying. And that sort of was my issue. I, I think the kids in Love, Simon, I understood them to be a little older. Uh -huh. But Charlie is, as Kate said, turns 15 during this 
I don't think it's that unnecessarily sanitizing to have this relationship be more about the idea of dating, mm-hmm. being boyfriends. And obviously, if they are together for a long period of time, they would certainly talk about sex at some point. They would, you know, have different experiences together. But I do think sometimes at that age, I can buy it as being more about, I'm just thinking about dating and being boyfriends. Interestingly enough, it contrasts with Turning Red, which I rewatched last night. And that sense for that character, that she is, I believe, 13 at the time, who is just kind of discovering like lusty feelings. And like, she's not thinking about sex. She's thinking about I like what his abs do to my brain. <laughs> like, I'm, they give, they make me feel tingly, and that's great. Like that's where I think like sexuality is for kids at that age, or at least that certainly is what my experience was like. What I liked about the like innocence of this is that I think it clears out some of the pressure. There's definitely a tendency in teen shows to go straight to the sex, to being you know, scandalous about, like, what these kids are up to. And, like, the answer on this show is just, like, kissing a bunch. It's cute. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that Nick spends a lot of time hugging Charlie. Mm. And that, that like, really stood out to me as, like, a signal of his affection that he didn't feel comfortable enough to do in front of other people, but was his instinct. Like, he wanted to be close to him. And I really relate to that, to just, like, not really understanding how you feel about someone, but, like, just knowing that you want to be near them and like not understanding what that means necessarily, but just trying to find a way to move yourself closer to figuring it out. And I I really found that quite moving. I also am now thinking of the moment where Nick and Charlie are sitting next to each other on the couch and Nick's hand hovers over Charlie's and we see the animated electricity going between them. Even though it's very cute and animated, I actually did feel like that was really real and so specific. And I do think that if we were to have a season two of the show, inevitably, we would want to see them exploring their sexuality. But to me, laying the emotional groundwork for more explicit sexual content later will, if it happens, make that more satisfying. And I think that is one of the things that I was so grateful to see stretched out over eight episodes is the bit-by-bit building of the emotional framework for whatever comes next and taking the time to remember what it feels like to actually feel lightning bolts flying between your hand and this boy's hand or whoever, you know, whoever the object of your affection is. But the actual sensation of, of electricity running between you when that person is just close to you, that made me respect the depth of the attention that they were paying to the characters. And it, as we're talking, it makes me realize that's why this show for me became about sweetness with thoughtfulness. It's sweetfulness with respect for the humanity of the people on screen. And, oh, God, I'm just getting all worked up all over again. I have to go get some pencils and <laughs> start drawing. Yeah, I mean, I obviously, I am not here to express an opinion to Glenn about what is authentic to the experience of a 15-year-old gay boy, but I I am an enthusiast of rom-coms. And I 
You know, my concern with something like this is, have they taken the sex out of it because they're both boys? Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a case. I think if you go back to those Jenny Han books and stuff like that, I think you do get the same, what Kate is sort of referring to as innocence in the early stages of a kind of falling in love story about a straight couple. But I understand, I kind of suspected that might be your take, Glenn, that it was a little bit too much cartoon hearts and whispery indie Mm. pop and a a score that to me sounds like Yaz, which I sort of thought was delightful. (laughs) I think I might be coming to the show with just the wrong expectations, right? This is a fantasy. This is, everybody says sweet and cute, but there were moments that really brought me up short in a way that I don't think the show intended. Did the scenes where Charlie goes to talk to his queer art teacher and gets from him exactly the kind of practical advice that a straight kid would get from a teacher, which is essentially, look, I went through this. I can't solve your problems. You'll get through it. That really hit different uh, in light of recent events in this country. Those kind of conversations, which were so casually presented without any kind of the hand-wringing that would happen, say, in Florida. Yeah. I just feel so grateful that now Heartstopper exists in this larger canvas of queer storytelling. So mm-hmm. Heartstopper doesn't have to do as much work. And it can just mm-hmm. be itself, and it can be that part of the spectrum. And if we want to experience things that are a bit more aggressively sexual, we can look at that elsewhere. And I'm glad that that is the case, because it lets Heartstopper not try to be too many things at once, perhaps, and just mm-hmm. be the sweet thing that it is and let other things deal with other things. Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked many times about representation ultimately getting to the point where what you want to have is enough queer stories that you can dislike some of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and still have plenty to watch. Yes. <laughs> and we want to know what you think about Heartstopper. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. This episode was produced by Candice Lim and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation. Listen to Embedded for moments that stay with you. I could smell the smoke. I could smell the dust. Voices that resonate. <laughs> Stories that change the way you think about your life. How how did we get here? The Embedded Podcast is NPR's home for original documentary series. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.